Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's just pray uh, before we look at God's word this morning. Father, there is uh, much in our world in a constant state of change. Uh, there is much that we do not know, as much that we cannot know. Let one thing remain true, and it always will be true, is that you are unchanging, faithful, and good, and in control of all things. Lord, as we open this uh, text this morning, familiar to some, unfamiliar to others, may you refresh us with your word and your truth of who you are, and that you are interested in us, that you love us, and that you have done something amazing to make us uh, be able to relate to you as we should again. We ask in faith that you give us understanding of your word, that your spirit will guide us and fill us into lasting and true change in Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, how's your New Year's resolution going? Good so far? Uh, you know, the, the usual tagline that's around this time of year is uh, New Year, New Me. Uh, I hope you like the change I've made so far. <laughs> Isn't it funny, even though um, we know New Year's resolutions don't often work out, we still try and do them and try and fix them to a certain date. Some of us don't, some of us has learnt. But even a couple of days in to that new diet, that new exercise regime, that uh, new positive thinking model that you've promise yourself you'll intimate, and all these disciplines that we've imposed on ourselves in two days, we've probably failed. Maybe you downloaded that Strava app on New Year's Eve, and you haven't logged anything in to it yet. Maybe you've already eaten something you said you wouldn't. Maybe you've already had thoughts you said you wouldn't. Maybe you've already slipped back into a bad pattern or habit of behaviour that you had sworn off of and you were determined not to do this year. Almost all of us want to change something about ourselves. And for those of us that don't want to change something about ourselves, just ask the people around you about what you could change, maybe. But especially bad happens and patterns of behaviour that we know are there and we want to see change. But with so much happening in our lives, even in the last two days of this year, we figure maybe 2023 will be our year. We can do that. Over the next few weeks, as we start off 2022 here at City Reach Marion, we wanted to uh, do a little bit, something a little bit different. So we're doing a bit of a topical series, and we wanted to especially narrow in on what real change is, and especially how much we need Jesus in our everyday lives, because that's where life happens and that's where following Jesus happens, is in the everyday moments of life. If we're going to become people that glorify God and bring joy to the city as our vision here at this church, while living in a world where we know where we sin, where we break God's commands, where those around us sin, and there's so, many, so much suffering and so many unknowns and so many uncertainties, how do we do that? How do we change in the midst of all that? That's what we sort of want to unpack in the next few weeks. And this morning, I want to just overview sort of a model for change. Some of us will be familiar with it. Some of you have done real change. 
Uh, some of you have done the personal growth thing we did in our GCs and home groups uh, last couple of terms. So this might be familiar, but this is something to reorientate ourselves often with, I think, to become a way of thinking about how God can change us, um, about how we can move from trusting in anything else to move to trusting in God alone. Sort of the repentance and faith that's just always constantly part of our lives if we want to want to and long to follow Jesus. And acknowledging, of course, that any change is a work of God. It's good, though, as well, that God isn't limited by dates. We don't have to do this on January 1st. God is not limited by our dates. He's also not limited by our stuff-ups and by our mistakes and by our, our failings. God is a God of unchangeable goodness and greatness and mercy and redemption. So, I want to give a bit of an overview of Jeremiah 17, and then we'll just sort of ask a few questions as we go through this morning about what this model of change looks like that I want to share with you. Then next week, we're going to just start digging into little areas a bit more. Next week, we'll look more at the heart and what that means. And then the week after that, we'll look like what repentance and faith looks like. And the last week, uh, Lawson will share with us what our lasting fruit looks like and where that comes from. So a bit of context to Jeremiah 17. Uh, God's people here, as Jeremiah is talking to them and as God gives this word to Jeremiah direct for the people of Judah, they're being rebuked. And they're being rebuked very strongly by the Lord because their trust was in something it should not be. Their trust was in men. They'd even worshipped uh, other idols, false gods, and verse 2 tells us that. They had broken God's commands. They'd rebelled against him, despised him so strongly that they'd actually engraved on their heart the sin against God. Verse 1 tells us a pen of iron, a point of diamond, they'd engraved in the heart their sin against God. And the result of this was the result of their misplaced affections, that their heart was out of order. They loved something other than God, and they believed in something other than God could save them. So this is a bit of the backdrop to what then has been read for us this morning, as well as this announcement that judgment was coming. Because these people had done what they'd done and rebelled against God and broken their covenant, his covenant their covenant with him, judgment was coming. They were going to be exiled into Babylon because they had forsaken God, this source of life, the source of all things. They'd forsaken the fountain of living water. So Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 14, provides us a bit of a model how to examine how much we need to change, but also how God provides that healing and change. Here's the model on the screen. We're just going to walk through this this morning, and over the next couple of weeks you'll become fairly familiar with it. But these verses give a contrast between two different people. Verse 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, makes flesh his strength. His heart turns from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. Then this second person is like a, a tree. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, he is like a tree planted by 
the river, sorry, planted by water, that sends out its root by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of doubt, nor does it cease to bear fruit. There's these two contrasting pictures. Both, both of these trees are sort of under the same heat in some sense, but they have a vastly different uh, personal context. One has found itself in the sh- as a shrub in the salt land where there's no life. The other has f- been planted next to the water, the source of all life. And the Lord here is speaking to Judah through Jeremiah and showing the dangers of trusting in anything other than God to save us, to heal us, to bring us hope. As opposed to the one who does trust in God, he receives blessing, he receives healing, he receives receives salvation. So this little model that we see in this passage shows us how this change can occur. How can one person go to being from being a thorny shrub to being a fruitful tree. Now, you might like the gardening analogy that I might put on you this morning, but some of us are prickly and some of us are green and luscious. You can decide who that is, but at all times, we're either one or the other. And what that's revealing about us is something and how we're reacting in our faith in God. How can the change happen, of course, is that middle tree, the one unchanging Thing in this picture that Jeremiah presents to us is this God remains unchanging. He's the healer. He's the saviour. He's the one who sits on the throne in control of all things. This is the salvation and perfection of Jesus pictured in this other tree in the middle that is the source of life. So turning to that tree is where we find healing and salvation. That's the overall model from that those few verses. But I want us now to ask if you uh, questions. As we consider, how do we live life? Uh, Ecclesiastes puts it in a way, if we, as we live life, we live life under the sun. And there's all these sorts of things that happen to us in life. How can we change from being people that just have thorns and prickles to those who trust in God and have uh, fruit in this life? So that's the first question. What is happening to you? What is happening? What is that thing that you're living under? What's the heat in your life? Because there's always something happening, for good or for bad. And that leads you to react in a certain way, for good or for bad. And this can be all sorts of things. The heat could actually be a blessing. It could be something good that's happening to you. There's many things in life that are actually very, very good. There's many things as we look and um, notice them that God has given us that are actually just really, really non-deserved, but just happen to us anyway. How do we even react to those good things? Sorry, next slide, Liz. Sorry, hopefully that's reasonably easy to read, but anyway. There's always things around us. And God's grace even turns bad things into good things. So how do we live with the good? How do we live with the bad? How do we live in a place where there's just opportunities around us, always around us? There's something in front of us to take this opportunity or that opportunity. And some of these are great opportunities to serve God and honour Him, and some of them actually temptations. How do we live in a world with that? 
How do we live when we know there's hard things to go through? When so many of us face limitations and troubles and those close to us face sickness, bad health. There's always the pressures of hardships in this world. There's also many voices and opinions. The wisdom of the world, misleading counsel, bad company, those false prophets that teach us something other than the truth of God. How do we live in a world discerning what is right and what is wrong? There's also, of course, the reality of human differences, relationships. How do we live life and react to certain situations when things coming at us are some, most of the time other people? How do we live with other people? Especially when we observe their shortcomings, their sufferings, the discouragements that come with that. And of course, we live in a world where Satan is roaming, the evil one, the deceiver, the liar is out there. This is the world and the sun and the heat and the pressure we live under. All of us, in some way, can identify with going, yep, I can see those things in my life. And those will be different for some of us. Some of it's a, a good job. How do we live life to glorify God with a good job that could change our heart and make us react in a way that doesn't reflect God at all? How do we live under this heat? What's happening in your life? And that's our next question leads from that. Those thorns, how are you reacting to what's happening to you in life? What do you do when you're under pressure, when the heat is on? Picture a man, and you don't know this man, he has a wife and two boys, and he's looking forward to a relaxing time on holiday. He's had a busy two or three years, and he just wants to unwind. You don't know this man, stop laughing. <laughs> he just wants to spend time with his family. He's booked a place, an Airbnb, where he knows he can lie in a hammock and read a book. Go see the beautiful scenery where they're staying. And that's his plan. He's going to relax, he's going to unwind. In the first couple of days, though, child number two is not sleeping. A couple of family members are quite sick and in hospital. Child number one decides to destroy some decorative things in the garden by throwing them on the road. What's happening to this man? I can tell you if that was what was happening. But what comes to the surface, how does he react? Well, that sort of would require me to be a bit more objective. But that man, I know he was prickly. He was thorny, he was, he was grumbling, complaining, he was angry, he was worried, he was stressed, he was anxious, he was many things. These were all the things that came to the surface when that man was put under that heat, under that circumstance. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, talks about that as we're believers, as we're following Jesus, there are times when our faith will be tested when we actually come under the pressure of various trials, because that's how our faith is refined, just like gold. When you put gold under intense pressure and heat, sorry, it, also, it brings all the impurities and the dross to the surface. 
And the idea is the dross is skimmed off the top, and every time it's refined, there's less and less to skim off. Our faith is being refined. That is a positive way to hopefully view as you're under pressure sometimes. How am I reacting? Well, there's thorns. Well, let's scrape them off. And it's often true. Very often true that we don't want to admit it. We always have a choice in how we react to things in life. But our default reaction sometimes tends to instinctively bend towards ourselves, self-protection, self-justification, um, all those sorts of things, selfish reactions. And those can be a mix of internal things. We can react internally sometimes with a sense of frustration and shame or even a false guilt. And some of these thorns are just not so much sins, but just the way we react in life. Bitterness is another dangerous one. But some of them manifest externally, where we have fear, we have anger, we have pride. This is not the way this should happen to me. I deserve better than this. That's a sort of prickly reaction. That when we get rubbed the wrong way, we tend to take that out. And most of the time, we do that to others. Our behaviours to others are often where we ex express ourselves, especially when we're being prickly. And we are, unfortunately, very often a prickly bunch by nature. And that's our next question. What, what's ruling our heart in that time? When we're reacting that way against the pressure we're under, what rule is our heart? What's this, where's this coming from? Where are these thorns coming from? Well, it comes from where the tree is rooted, and it's rooted in the salt lands, as the Lord puts it. It's a bad root that brings forth bad fruit. What causes our bad behaviour? Well, it's easy to point that out in other people, isn't it? I know why he or she did that, because this, this, and this. What makes us truly behave in such destructive ways sometimes? Obviously, there's a lot more going on than just meets the surface. There's a thorn that we might notice. We might even get pricked by a thorn. But there's something deeper at heart, and it's deeper there than it's at heart. There's something wrong with our heart. We're going to spend more time looking at that next week. But just for now, Jeremiah 17 talks a lot about the heart puts out several issues. I've already mentioned one from verse 1 that we didn't read, but it talks about the sins of Judah were engraved on their hearts. It was their very identity. It's how they lived out who they were. They lived out their turning away from God. From their heart, they lived that out. Verse 5 tells us that. They turned away with their heart. They put trust in men, in their own flesh. And when you do that, your heart will turn from God and that will cause great issues. That will result in a curse. And this, this shrub in the desert never sees any good coming. Never sees anything good because the heart is just so misaligned, so wrong. It's living away from God. It's just like living in a barren wasteland, the wilderness, an uninhabited salt land. And verse 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. There's no way of knowing it's desperately wicked, it's desperately sick. 
desperately wicked, desperately sick. That also indicates that we should sometimes be, we can't identify the problem all the time. We, de we deceive ourselves about what the problem is. We also can't fix it ourselves because we're the ones that are desperately sick and wicked. And we can't know it, we're told. The problem is this, this bad root, the sin that's ruling in our heart expresses itself in our behaviours, our thoughts first sometimes, but always manifests, manifests itself outwardly. So what's ruling our heart when we're acting in that way, when we're like that man was on his holiday, grumbling, complaining, angry, fearful, anxious? What was ruling his heart maybe was comfort. I deserve a break. I deserve rest. I deserve children to obey me perfectly. Pleasure, success. Other people's opinions can rule our hearts and make us manifest behaviour that is not godly or helpful. And when we're trusting that the things in our hearts, you know, if I trust in comfort and drive after that, I will get comfort and everybody else around me will comfort me. Whereas usually the way that works out is everybody else around me avoids me because I'm getting pricklier and pricklier because they're not coming under my rule and authority. What is ruling our hearts? And we might well say, well, it's just who I am. It's engraved on my heart after all. That's just who I am. But God's power to redeem and break the chains of sin is, is far greater than what we think we should identify ourselves with. I do not have to be identified by what my sin says I am or what the liar and the evil one says I am. No, God is greater than that. That said, there's another question to consider. There's consequences to our actions that come from our bad hearts and bad root. We reap these negative consequences from the sin that rules our hearts and shapes our behaviour. Hardly ever just affects us, as we've said, but affects others around us. There's this ripple effect as we react against God, as we rebel against God, as we chase after the things in our own heart rather than what God has laid out. We sin against God and break his commands but also against others. When we lie to serve the comfort or pleasure or things in our hearts that we're driving after, that affects our relationships, it's broken trust. When we lust after things because we desire something in our heart that we should not and God has forbidden, that creates another cycle where we give in to the indulgence we often abuse others and our own bodies in the process as we do so. And there's always a reaping to that harvest. When we seed those sorts of things, when we water them, they grow. And the thorns that come out are not pleasant, but also it just creates this cycle of sin, of rebellion against God that leads to addictions, that leads to doing more of what we, when we do more of what we want, we want to do more of what we want. 
And there's this unending cycle where we don't care what we do when we get what we want because we're just serving our own hearts. There's this climate of cursing. Judah was serving idols and idols demand sacrifice. And sometimes the more you worship something, the more you want something, when it becomes greater and more important to you than anything else, there's sometimes nothing you will do. Nothing you won't do, sorry, to serve that at the expense of so many other things. Judah got themselves in such a predicament by doing this that they're about to go into exile. That was the consequence of breaking their covenant with God. The next question is then, who is God to you in all of this? Who is God in all of this? As you live under this heat, under this pressure, as you think about how you react to this pressure, as you think that that's coming from a heart that's desperately wicked and sick, and you know that has a cycle and, a, and so many consequences, who is God in this? Both trees in the picture are somewhat under the same heat, but they process it differently, and why is that? Well, there's a way for our hearts to change, obviously, and it comes through this one unchanging thing. This, verse 13 tells us, Lord, the hope of Israel, the one who is the fountain of living water. Verse 14 says, the one who can heal me, O Lord, Jeremiah cries out in response to what the Lord has announced about himself, about him being the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. There's a way for our hearts to be changed, to be made new, and that comes through the sovereign God who is over all things, who makes a way in the wilderness, streams in the desert, as Isaiah 43, verse 19 tells us. The fountain of living water, as Jeremiah puts it here. He makes a way. Even in the barren wilderness, he can draw life. Even from death, God can bring life. He's in the business of redemption, of redeeming, of restoring, of, of healing, of setting captives free. He's in the business of changing hearts and giving new hearts. And he's the only one that can do that. Verse 10 tells us, we talked about the horrible situation of our heart, that there's no one that can know it, that it's desperately sick and wicked, that it's deceitful above all things. And verse 10 says, I, the Lord, can search the heart and test the mind. He can know the heart. He can see the real root of the issue and he can provide the solution as well. This other tree, this sort of third tree in the model is a wonderful picture to us of what God has provided. The source of life is in him. Change is in him. Healing is in him. Salvation is in him because there is one who took the curse on himself. There was one who was willing to take from us the evil, 
the wickedness, the sin, bear that upon himself and still be the source of all life, the source of all lasting fruit. Jesus is our only sure hope. The next question is how do we react to this then? How will you talk to God about this? How will you have a conversation with God about all this? As we look at the pressure we're under, the thorns we have, we know they're coming from a heart that's desperately sinful, wicked. Only God can change this. Only God has provided a way for this to be changed in Jesus. Only God can redeem this. We know it's not just enough to look at the thorns and prune them back and cut off a bit of the behaviour. That's not going to be the issue. It'll spring back up. There's a root there that has to be dealt with. And as we've already talked about, changing our behaviour sometimes just for the sake of change usually ends in nothing because change is sometimes hard, elusive and temporary, asking New Year's resolutions about that. And also when we do figure out something where we snip off a few thorns here and there, what does that do to our hearts? So look what I've done to myself, aren't I good? Self-help, if you really stop to think about it, self-help is an oxymoron. You can't say to yourself, hey self, help me get out of the mess I've created for myself. You can't do that. You need outside help. We're dead in our sins. We're without hope in this life. Unless there's a redeemer who can save us and bring us life, we're destined for a harvest of judgment as we've sown these seeds of rebellion just as Judah did. We desperately need a relationship with someone who's above our sin, who can save us from our sin, who's been with us in our sin and knows what it is but yet has not sinned themselves, is not touched by the bad root, the problem Someone who will defeat it. Someone who will take it on themselves and yet still give life. How do we receive that? How do we receive that? Because we want that. We want to be alive. We want to be like the person who trusts in the Lord, the one who makes, whose trust is the Lord. We want to be the tree planted by the roots, plants its roots in the stream. To do that, we must trust in the Lord, must turn to him. If the problem was turning away from the Lord that led to all these issues, we must turn to him, we must repent. We must turn to God rather than away from him. We must believe that what he's provided is sufficient. Again, in week three, we'll look a bit more about that. But God's love has provided away from us from for us from death to life, from barrenness to fruitfulness, from light to dark. Question, next question is, how do, we, how do we show this love to others? How do we show God's love to others? What, how is this going to express itself in good fruit? If our heart has changed by repentance, 
towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, how will that then be expressed in our lives? Because surely the root then has changed. We're trusting in God rather than ourselves or others or idols. We're firmly fixed in the right thing. We've got the root (laughs) planted into that stream of the fountain of living water. Our roots go down deep into the stream. And we're told the result of that is they will not fear the heat. You will not fear the heat. No, you can be sustained by what you're trusting in. You won't be anxious when the heat comes either because you know your source of hope and life will never fail and you'll be constantly bearing fruit. How does this look for our friend who is struggling on his holiday? Maybe he's, there was the idol of comfort and pleasure and of self-entitlement and that's the reason he reacted so thornly and grumbling. But if his repentance towards God and faith in Jesus, what does that look like for him? It requires a work of God to humble, to admit that that was a wrong expression, that was a wrong heart, that was a wrong attitude, those were wrong thoughts, those were wrong actions. To confess those to God, but also to confess those who he acted against. There's also has to be replacement in the heart from always wanting his own comfort to saying actually what Jesus has offered is better. What God has given me is better. That God has given the blessing of children. That God has given the blessing of rest. And when you can't have physical rest, there's a better thing than that. We have a God who does not slumber or sleep and keeps us in the night. What then are the consequences of this sort of action? The positive consequences? Well, again, week four, we'll talk more about this, the fruit that lasts. You see that in this sort of thing, you see that God, you'll see that God's on the throne. And this creates, instead of the climate of cursing that we had on the other side, we see that God's in control. And that this, we can enter his throne room as, as the Lord promised to his people here. A glorious throne is set on high from the beginning. It's the place of our sanctuary. It's a safe place we can enter to. And this salvation we receive by trusting in Christ gives us access to the throne room of God gives us peace. And peace and this life leads to peace with peace with God in this life leads to peace with others. Not always peace in every circumstance it feels, but in these moments where the pressure comes on we can go oh, God is in control. And we can look to the consequences of of having the blessing of God where once maybe there was complaining and anger and fear and pride. Now there's a climate of blessing, of gratitude, of love, of gentleness, of meekness, of self-control, of joy, of peace. This is the work 
that we see we can receive when we turn to God and put our trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit's work of convicting us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. Not always a pleasant experience, but an experience that leads to life and joy. So conclusion, again, I know that was sort of a very brief, quick overview, and we'll dig in more over the next uh, couple of weeks. But there's one resolution I do want to call you to this morning. As much as we've established that it seems a faulty thing to always make promises to yourself about things you're going to do, a resolution I want to call you to this morning is to run to Jesus. Whenever you feel like you've messed up, whenever you feel like you've reacted badly, whenever you feel like your heart has replaced God with something else, whenever you feel like you're overwhelmed, even just in life in general, you have not necessarily done anything that's broken God's command, but there are things around you you cannot control, you cannot comprehend, and you cannot face. Run to Jesus. Accept his work as perfect. Accept his rest that he can give you. See that he can change you. Change is always a progressive thing. It'd be nice if sometimes we just went to bed one night, had a good night's sleep, and just woke up the next morning. It's like, well, that worked. 10 kilos. Change is always progressive, isn't it? Real lasting change especially needs a long-term progress. If it's biblical change, it heads in a very specific direction, if you think of it that way. There's always one goal in mind, and that's of being like Jesus and having the fruit of the Spirit lived out in us. That is the goal. But there's times we will stumble. There's times when we will be overwhelmed. There's times when we'll sometimes be crushed and under the pressure. But one person has identified the Christian life this way. So it's a long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes that's deviating, but there's always one goal we're fixed on. And even if we get off course, the goal still remains the same. We get straight back on course, run to Jesus, set our eyes on him. For us this morning, I want to encourage those of you who trust in Jesus, who believe in him, remember that. He is your goal. He is your destination. Remember who God has made you to be, to be like him. Work backwards from that if you have to. But instead of trusting what some would engrave on your heart or what you've engraved on your heart yourself, Trust that what God has done is more powerful than that. And he has engraved on your heart the fact that you are his child. Loved, precious, redeemed. If you're here this morning, maybe you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you're not a believer. I want to encourage you this morning to think about who God is. Who else can offer you what God offers? Who else can offer Jesus? Think also about all those times you've tried to save yourself 
the times you've tried to fix yourself and fail. You'll still face failures if you trust in Jesus. You'll still slip up. But when, just when you think your life is hopeless, I encourage you this morning to look to Christ, look to Jesus and run to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the God who is a fountain of living water, the source of all life, the one who longs for us to come to you, even broken as we are, to come to you and cast aside the things that we've trusted in, that we would be made whole in you. Lord, give us new hearts. If that is what we're needing this morning, you can do that. Give us uh, an understanding of, of the consequences of the way we live and where that comes from. And ask, we ask you, Lord, and humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Save us and rescue us. And Lord, for those of us who, who trust and follow Jesus but know there's many things in life that overwhelm us, even our own uh, sin and brokenness, Lord, help us to run to you, knowing you are the source of all life. And grant us peace and joy in knowing you. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.